Welcome to the Final Girls Podcast. As ever, I'm Anna Bogutskaya and I'm your podcast host. It's the last Friday of 2022 and in honor of what has been an exceptionally good year for horror films, I'm bringing you what myself and my regular podcast contributors think have been the best genre films of the year. Now we could go on for two hours, but that's time better spent actually watching the films. So I asked some of my regular podcast guests to pick their favorite horror film of the year. Just one. Now, for anyone listening who hasn't seen all of these, don't worry. Everything you're about to hear is entirely spoiler free. It's an invitation to discover these films if you haven't already seen them. So with all that said, enjoy the Final Girls Top 10 Horror Films of 2022. First up, Circa Neeline praises an early release of the year, Scott Derrickson's The Black Phone, which reunites the director with the star of his previous effort, Sinister, Mr. Ethan Hawke himself. Well, isn't that just peachy keen? You need some help? <laughs> you see that? Yeah. <laughs> Would you hand me my hat? Yes, sir. I am a part-time magician. Would you like to see a magic trick? Yeah. Yeah. Are those black balloons in there? Yeah. So this film, which was long awaited and much anticipated um, from the end of 2021, uh, was released here in the summer of 2022. And it is, uh, as you know, based on a short story by Joe Hill in his collection 20th century ghosts and uh, he is of course the son of Stephen King so we do get this lovely thematic overlay in the film that follows. The film itself is one that I think despite its smaller budget and uh, it's uh, kind of downbeat and um, aesthetically more sedate kind of stylization I would think is actually one of the most exciting films of 2022 simply because it has a really, really good child-led story and really strong performances throughout. What I really liked about it, however, was that it taps into all those anxieties of late 1970s, early 1980s um, popular culture. We have the figure of the grabber who wears this terrifying mask throughout the film played brilliantly by Ethan Hawke. Um, and he is abducting these children and leaving um, a kind of cluster of black balloons in his wake. Um, the abduction of the children is uh, quite frightening. They're obviously being tricked into this particular van and they're being held in this soundproof basement. In this basement um, are the current um, a victim, uh, uh, Finney, uh, is, uh, discovers that he has a black phone in this um in this soundproof basement and it's disconnected but once it starts to ring we get the voices of the previous victims who were not able to uh, escape the grabber's clutches what follows then is a kind of ingenious kind of film that sets you up with thinking of how is Finney going to escape um, and what kind of connections can the outside world make as they're looking for him uh, in order to find him. He must rely on his wit, rely on his uh, his fiendishness, his cleverness, and of course the clues that come from the previous victims who speak to him through the um, black phone on the wall. I really, really enjoyed this film. I thought it was um, smart. I thought it was really well put together. It has a lovely... Uh, 
collision of cinematographic styles, um, all the way from sort of what looks like 70s home movies through to quite polished and quite um, aesthetically pleasing, uh, yet um, desaturated um, style on, on screen to really evoke that sense of 70s um, hopelessness and anguish. Um, it's got a cast of very, very... Um, very convincing and, and and really kind of joyful performances i would say in particular i found that i found that um, finney who is played by mason thames um to be particularly um emotionally wrought i thought he was incredibly well put together on screen i thought it worked really nicely i also thought madeline mcgraw as gwen was an absolute scene stealer in the film she is uh one of finney's closest friends she's out in the outside world and she has a dream about his uh uh, that, that gives us kind of clues as to how he can be found and um, where the location of the grabber is in this film. Um, because it's set in 1978, it's got that sense of Halloween. You do feel the, the kind of suburban um, sense of uh, monstrosity among in the community, but you also get that sense that it's tying into those early 1980s anxieties and that late 70s, early 80s anxieties about milk carton kids, kids who disappear from the neighbourhood and are never seen or heard from again. Um, and it has all of this um, wrapped up in this kind of image, this ghoulish mask that is um, donned by the grabber, which was styled, of course, by horror maestro Tom Savini um, for the film. I just wanted to get the word out. This is a really exciting film. I thought it was really worth watching. It was well worth the wait. And, uh, you know, Watching it in tandem with other releases that came out at that time, like the uh, the last season of Stranger Things, it really spoke to this sense of the, the kids of the 1970s and 1980s have grown up in the shadow of so much horror. And this is something that we're still unpacking in cinema nearly 40 years later in terms of some of these themes and big ideas. Anyway, I wanted to leave that with you with the black phone. I hope you enjoy it. Next up is Becky Dark's favourite film of the year, the Gen Z whodunit horror and podcast apologist, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. After you watch it, there is a deep dive review of the film over on our Patreon channel, and I also had the chance to talk about the film with director Helena Rain. Do we listen to her podcast? We... What? I like your podcast, Alice. What is your podcast about? Hanging out with your smartest and funniest friend. Did you just... Grown? No. First of all, a podcast takes a lot of work, okay? You have to organize the guests, you have to do a Google Calendar, and then you build a following. It takes a long fucking time! I love this movie. Literally, for me, five stars, no notes. And I'm happy to say that I watched it again on Boxing Day. Um, a little bit nervous that I wasn't going to like it as much as I did at the cinema and happy to report, absolutely smash it out of the park again. It's funny, it's queer, it's irreverent, it's gory. Um, I think some people would probably say it's not like a straight up horror film and that's kind of true. But it's got some gnarly deaths and definitely for the most part plays like a slasher. Um, Amanda Stenberg is amazing in it, as is Rachel Sennett, as she is in everything that I've seen her in so far. I cannot wait to see what she does next. I'm so, so into her. Um, and I know that you're loving Lee Pace. So, yeah, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. It's a group of 20-somethings 
um, stuck in a mansion. They're all like rich. It's another one that sort of falls into the eat the rich um, tropes and sort of subgenre that we've got going on at the moment. Very, very here for it. Um, there's a storm raging outside. People start turning up dead. Who done it, Anna? Who done it? Um, the answer will surprise you as it surprised me. And I love this film. Absolutely love it. Film of the year for me, 2022 has been an incredible year for horror films. Like we haven't seen the like of it in many, many years, like decades. So the fact that Bodies, Bodies, Bodies has come out top for me, um, I think says something about how much I enjoyed it. So if you haven't seen it, dear listeners, then um, make it a top priority for 2023. Listen, no one loves a cannibal romance horror more than me. So I was thrilled, thrilled in a totally non-weird way when director Luca Guadagnino reunited with his favorite star, Timothée Chalamet, to produce Bones and All. Steph McKenna picked it as her film of the year. And if you're still hungry after this tease, there's a deep dive review of it over on the Patreon as well. What was it like? A rush. You can feel every blood vessel like spider webbing through me. I feel like some kind of weird new superhero. What about afterward? What'd you feel about it? What'd you think? I don't remember after. That's bullshit. Hey, I'm not just gonna tell you what you want to hear. You ask me a question, I gotta answer it. First of all, is Bones and All even a horror film? It depends who you ask. It's a cannibal film, a coming-of-age drama, a romance, an American road trip movie. A blend of genres that come together beautifully to tell the story of a young woman on the road, Marin, who meets and falls in love with a young drifter called Lee. They also happen to both be eaters, people who have a growing need to eat human flesh. During their 3,000-mile road trip across the Midwest, Marin learns about her past, her compulsion to eat, and the type of woman she wants to be. There is so much to admire about Guadagnino's storytelling, particularly the way that a taboo subject like cannibalism is explored through the prism of addiction at the beginning of the opioid crisis in Reagan's America. Marin and Lee exist on the margins of society, haunted by a lifestyle inherited by blood which compels them to do bad things, and there's an inevitable tragedy in their efforts to live like normal people. Bones and All has a relatively low body count, which might be disappointing to some horror fans, but the acts of cannibalism we do see are bloody, gristly and violent. But of even greater fascination to me is when these moments of feeding are also intimate, vulnerable and sacred, what Luca himself describes as a reverential act between two or more people. I love the way this film balances competing and connecting states of physicality and emotion, attraction and repulsion, love and horror. There is so much to say about the power of the performances in Bones and All, from the contrast between the thoughtful, introverted Marin, played by Taylor Russell, and the scrappy, charismatic Lee, played by Timothy Chalamet, to the sinister but spellbinding supporting cast, including Sully, played by Mark Rylance, another eater with murky intentions. He is easily the scariest part of the film. He is absolutely mortifying. 
Tie them together with stunning cinematography, a beautiful script by David Kajanich, and a surprisingly tender score from the legends Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, and you've got a dreamy, creepy, slow burn movie that will make you cry and want to vomit at the same time. If Raw meets Call Me By Your Name meets Near Dark sounds like your kind of movie, I wholeheartedly recommend giving this a try. Having only recently been in cinemas, I think it's now available to stream on VOD in the US and will hopefully arrive in the UK very soon. I hope you watch and I hope you enjoy. Now, I'll confess I haven't seen this one myself yet. It's on the list for tonight. But the one person who hasn't stopped talking about it is Louise Blaine. Deadstream, a supernatural found footage horror comedy directed, written, produced, and edited by wife and husband duo Vanessa and Joseph Winter, is her film of the year. I'm always out of touch with the rules on these things. Spirit from another time, I touch something that was once thine. Come to me. I summon thee. Red Rover, Red Rover, send dead babies right over. Jeez, I'm not sure how you're supposed to tell the difference between old house sounds and ghost sounds my choice in a year that has actually been so incredible for horror that I was like, oh, this was that year, and this was this year, and this was this year. So it's been really, really hard to decide. But my horror movie of this year is absolutely going to be Deadstream. I saw it earlier in the year before it came to Shudder, and I saw it says by Southwest, and it was just everything I want from a horror movie. And I think that's very subjective to me, but also it's just so much fun. So it's found footage, it's horror comedy, it's really indie, it's really scuzzy. And it really manages to balance that great line between things that are genuinely scary and things that are absolutely hilarious. And it it kind of does it in that Evil Dead style. So, you know, Vanessa and Joseph Winter, the writers and directors, and it's Joseph Winter that plays the absolutely hateful uh youtuber that decides that you know rather than you know going to therapy or thinking about things or reading a book he actually decides to, when he's cancelled to go to a haunted house and stream what happens when he goes to that haunted house and of course it goes incredibly wrong but what i really really love about it is it really understands exactly what's so good about good found footage. So we get that set up, you know, we get him talking to his followers, they're talking back, they're being arseholes. It gets the right tone of exactly how that is without being totally objectionable. And then it ups the stakes. So another reason that I really love it is because I get so excited every time he brings out a new little wireless camera and puts it in another room of the haunted house. And you just know that with every Every time he puts that there and every time he goes back to look at all of his cameras, which all have kind of that black and white sort of night vision style style, you know that shit's going to go down and it totally does. And that's how it just nails the creepiness. So it gets that sort of paranormal activity feel. It gets the ridiculousness because he's an absolute hateful creep and he knows it and it's really funny. It gets that added like meta element of the um, of his, his subscribers watching. And then it gets this total batshit roller coaster that then takes place as things go really really wrong so it's funny it's silly it's scary it gets really really gross at points 
Um, and yeah, it ticked all of my horror boxes for 2022. So yeah, in a year of extreme, incredible horror, I'm going to choose the silly Twitch streamer movie because of course I am. One of the most anticipated cinema events of the year, horror or otherwise, was Jordan Peele's third feature film, Nope. Now, this film was divisive to say the least. I'm in the I loved it camp and have defended it both on air and in real life for countless hours. You can hear my original review of it over on Wittertainment and there's a two and a half hour long review special that I put out on the main feed of this podcast and you can indulge in my love for Jordan Peele and Nope over there. Leila Latif picked it as her favorite horror film of the year. They're ready, we're ready. Welcome to the Star Lasso Experience. Only at Jupiter's Claim. Please remember to avoid using your cell phones or any flash photography during the event. Bear with us now. Trained animals can be unpredictable. (laughs) Now sit back, stay in your seats, and enjoy the Star Lasso Experience. very good year for horror I think um so yeah my favorite film of the year um within this genre is uh Jordan Peele's Nope which was also probably my most anticipated film of the year um coming into it um I've been a huge fan of his um ever since kind of the the key and Peele days um where you can actually see a little bit of his horror sensibility creeping through even even when he's just making kind of silly sketches about um gremlins too um so yeah i i I was so so excited for this and you know him reunited with uh daniel kalua i think that um you know kiki palmer is 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 a real talent that kind of goes way past the typical disney star that we imagine um, yeah, and then of course he was bringing Stephen Young. He was bringing back two of my favorite horror icons who we haven't, you know. Well, Keith David, we 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 do see around a lot, but not in in a lot of horror films. But Michael Wincott's return was was just if you know if I was at um, you know a ten already when I when he was announced, I think we got to about a, a fourteen. Um, so yeah, there was there was a lot of mystery. Um, not to get too inside baseball with this, but there was a lot of um, security. They weren't really showing this to journalists that easily. Um, and then we had a we had a press junket, and the, at the last minute, that all got cancelled. And you know, there was quite a lot of um, conspiracy behind the, the scenes about like, oh, what, what's going on with this film? Maybe it's not going to be that great. Um, and then. Um, so they told me then, you know, sorry, you're going to have to wait another week and a half or whatever it is in order for it, um, for you to watch it. But it had just come out in America, which hate it when that happens, when, when they get things in advance of us. But I mean, I, I, you know, I, I consider myself an honest person, but I fully just lied to the PRs and said that like, no, 
I'm sorry, I have to see it tonight. I've got a holiday book next week. I've arranged childcare that's been prepaid for. I have to see it tonight. I have to see it tonight. So they did let me because I knew that if I had one more week as being as online as I was, um, as, as I am, that that every kind of treat from this film might be spoiled. And 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 it is one that um, you know I think they were in a way they were right to not do that giant amount of press so we could go in and get genuine surprises because whatever you thought Nope was going to be about whether you thought it was going to be about the rapture or aliens or an environmental disaster I don't think anybody saw it starting with a chimp attack and you know I'm very afraid of chimps if you're not you should be Uh, you definitely would should rather be more fearful about being trapped in a room with a chimp than a lion. Um, you know, uh, there's a Louis Theroux documentary about it where I always remember that they say chimps, they go for what they know you love, which means it's uh, genitals, fingers and face. And what could be scarier than that? Particularly that it came out that, uh, you know, Gordy and the chimp in this film was inspired by a dream that Jordan Peele tweeted that he had many years ago. So, the ideas for Nope have been gestating for a while. But I think what makes me love Nope so much is that, you know, I suppose people talk about it with food where the secret ingredient is love. But I think as much as we talk about Jordan Peele as being like this pioneer of, you know, satirical horror and metaphor and elevated horror, now that we like that term because that term is rubbish. Um, you know, what I think people don't grasp is just what a love of the filmmaking form that he has and that is so present in Nope like if you think of Get Out as being his kind of Stepford Wives Ira Loving uh, tribute and to me Us is just pure love letter to Hitchcock this to me was just such a beautiful mashup of adoring early Spielberg and 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 enjoying the nature of spectacle of film loving Kubrick like all of that is in there and it kind of weaves together into this spectacular rich scary funny tapestry where as much as I was already afraid of chimps coming into it there were there was things that this film taught me that uh, to be afraid of that I didn't even realize was something I had to worry about but if you haven't seen Nope and um I'm not going to spoil anything about it for you because it it really, those twists and turns do come, but um, it's, it's, it's such a joy to kind of see someone like Jordan Peele, who's got kind of unparalleled pressure in a way, because if, when he releases a film, not only do they expect it to make hundreds of millions of dollars, they also expect it to be one of the best films of the year which is uh, no mean feat, but he, he's done it again. And um, I just can't think of uh, any any significant faults with it. It's already the most stunning filmography. Um, and yeah, the, the man doesn't miss. And whenever his next film is coming out, it will be my most anticipated film of that year and probably my favourite horror film of the year. Alongside Jordan Peele's return to the big screen, another highly anticipated and highly hyped release was David Cronenberg's return to cinema and to body horror with Crimes of the Future. I was mesmerized by this film in Cannes, and it only gained when I rewatched it later on. Clarice Lockery, who also joined me over on the Patreon for an in-depth review of the film, 
picked it as her favorite of the year. Do you mind if I ask you something into Hi. Oh, go ahead. Surgery is sex, isn't it? Is it? Mm. You know it is. Surgery is the new sex. Mm. Does it have to be new sex? Yes. Yes, it's time. I actually saw this film at a press screening before an interview with Alexandra Anger and Monica Pavez, who did the incredible prosthetics uh, on the film they are responsible for, uh, The Airmen, the one and only. And I loved it because it's interesting. I I saw it after it, you know, premiered at a lot of the film festivals, so I'd, I'd heard so much of the conversation around it already, and the main... The main sort of thrust of it was, oh, you know, this is David Cronenberg's big return to body horror after, um, and also his first film in in eight years. And you know, this is a di- idea that this that Crimes of the Future was going to be back to basics, <laughs> back to David Cronenberg doing what he does best. But what I actually loved about this film is that this isn't the old David Cronenberg this is not the guy who made Videodrome and The Brood and Existence uh you know this is the David Cronenberg who who made History of Violence uh and Eastern Promises and Dangerous Method I think it was sort of beautiful to see how (laughs) how this film reflected where he is now as a filmmaker and I think where we are now as a society like it's the film has less and the body horror in the film has less of that that visceral rush to it there's something far more I don't know contemplative and and deeper and and almost sad um and like I I love (laughs) I love all the creations that he made and that Alexandra Anger and Monica Pavez made for this movie, like Viggo Mortensen's digestion chair, just wonderful. I'd like one for myself. And, you know, the womb bed that, that people sleep in. But I think what's more important to me than that is is the idea of human evolution. <laughs> and where do we go next? And it's 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 got less of that sort of like um, shock factor that I, that I think a lot of David Cronenberg's you know older movies have because I think he's starting to consider that question quite seriously. <laughs> and there are parts parts of Crimes of the Future where I go, oh yeah, maybe I maybe I would consider sewing a bunch of ears to my body. I don't I don't see why not. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think what what is what made this my favorite horror movie of the year was the way it really made me question the relationship between art and sex and meaning inside of the body because I'm sure everyone knows there's the thing that they keep saying that surgery is the new sex 
and you have these two characters, Viggo Mortensen's character and Leia Sadu's characters, who um, are, perf- are performance artists, and he grows new organs inside of his body. His body can do that somehow. Uh, and then she operates on him and cuts them out in front of an audience. And so there's this idea that, you know, surgery is the new sex, but also surgery, because of those two, is is the new art as well. So <laughs> if surgery is the new sex and surgery is the new art, then sex is the new art. And it's all of these three things are just kind of ways of creating meaning out of our flesh so by by watching Crimes of the Future is David Cronenberg letting us have sex with the movie? This is the question that I came away with and I I loved that. <laughs> I think it's amazing. <laughs> um and so I I don't know. I in terms of do I think other people would love this movie? Clearly the reaction has been somewhat divisive so maybe not. But um I loved it. And that's that's what's important, you know? And it is gross, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful gross. In 2022, Ty West surprised everyone when he made a better Texas Chainsaw Massacre film than the actual Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, sequel, whatever thing that also came out this year. X is pure slasher sweaty goodness. I loved every second of it and I am furious that I haven't seen Pearl yet. Jordan Cresciola, the Duchess of the Mia Goth fandom, picks it as her favorite horror film of the year. Time to turn our backs on sin and make the I'm nothing like you. You're kidnapping, murdering sex fiends. I'm a fucking star. The whole world is gonna know my name. I will not accept a life I do not deserve. I do not deserve. Stop fucking staring at me! You know, after much pondering, I would have to say that of the the genre movies, it was such a rich year, such a rewarding year. And I think after, after considering it a lot, I've got to give the top spot to X. I watched it for the first time in a press screening, which are like famously, in LA at least, non-reactive places. It's like people are going out of their way to not physically express how they're responding to a movie. But even in that, like you were you were sort of feeling the tension in the room and the pulling to the edge of one's seat about like what they were seeing on screen when when you're getting this exploitation wonderful exploitation style violence and then the second time I saw it was in a movie theater it was I think it was like opening weekend and I went to a late show and there was barely anybody there but it was still a good crowd it was still a good crowd having a great time and I found just the second time reinforced even more what I experienced in the first was that X felt like from writer director Ty West X felt like a kind of fun that it feels like people, you know, in that great discourse, that great repeated discourse on Twitter about sex in movies, sex on screen, where's the sexiness? Um, it felt like this movie was willing to venture in 
to a kind of sweaty, pulpy brand of genre that we as a as a people, as a as a group of devoted fans, are kind of jonesing to see more of, but that, you know, it's it's a struggle across film, across genre, to reobtain that transgressive sense of sexiness that I feel like was last so proliferate in the 90s, obviously, in the the real halcyon days of the erotic thriller. But I feel like X does this fantastic thing of in a time when we are coming into, I believe, how to reincorporate more base lizard brain kinds of aspects of genre cinema in a world that is also hopefully orienting its thought process and its priorities toward equity and inclusion and good treatment and inclusive treatment of collaborators on set, particularly women in sexual situations where I think prior to now there could have been more of a bent toward objectification as opposed to a true sort of creators, filmmakers, collaborative effort to bring something to screen. You watch X and I feel like you feel the joy of everyone involved knowing exactly what they're there for. And it's sort of like a summer camp of people making this sexy, messy, bloody hag exploitation movie together. Britney Snow has never been a brighter star. And this is a woman who's been a bright star for years going on, decades. But Ty West and X really understand um, that Bobby Lynn is a center stage kind of presence. And she steals every scene that she's in. Jenna Ortega as the church mouse, just a perfect series of character turns throughout the movie to keep you on your toes. Um, and I mean, Mia Goth, my my girl, my alien, my star, my queen. I have been waiting since Cure for fucking wellness, for somebody to understand at a, at a box office level, at a like, we're not just a French independent filmmaker, at a like box office 3,000 screens level to understand that Mia Goth is a goddamn movie star and she absolutely is and in this she absolutely gets to be and how do we know that even more because it's basically become the Mia Goth trilogy going on to become Pearl and soon thank god Maxine um yeah this movie was so entertaining front to back the way it built compassion between you and this like ragtag group of pornographers in 1970s Texas uh, I felt every death in this movie. I was rooting for every one of our protagonists to live. And amidst the boobs and the sex and the blood and the death by pitchfork, etc., etc., um, you also get a moving scene of Britney Snow singing Landslide along with an acoustic guitar. That is taking the talents of the people you have on hand and absolutely maximizing them. And I feel like that is what this movie does. X has identified the talents and the power of presence of each one of its stars. And I think it plays into each one of those things very well. And once again, I cannot say enough, I cannot stress enough, the Mia Goth show. I think if we want a, a movement of horror that returns to pleasure, I think X becomes a fundamental, has entered as a fundamental part of that conversation um, and how you build around pleasure and you build around transgression and you do it well and you make it feel substantial and you make it feel like a part of the story. And it's as like sort of moving at points as it is just hell of crazy fun. So that is my top horror movie of the year. And I will give 
all credit to that, to the fact of, yes, Mia Goth, I am biased. It gives me her. It gives me more. And she is the tops of my 2022 list. Listen, when I say it's been a good year for horror, I say it with my entire being, with my whole chest, because this is the year we got the batshit insane ride that is Barbarian. Coming out of absolutely nowhere, this one is one to watch with all your horror fiend pals and with the people who still fret around the genre. Mix your group of friends, unite them all, watch this together. No one will expect what's about to happen. Isaura Barbara Brown talks about exactly what makes it so much fun. Here we go. Oh boy. Oh my god. Uh, hello? Hello? It's the first time in a long time that I've genuinely screamed at a screen when I've been watching something. I watched it um, from a link, a streaming link that I was kindly sent um, in a hotel room in Glasgow. And I purposely didn't know much about it. All I knew was like from the teaser trailer, which is Girl Books Airbnb um, turns up and the guy's already there who has also booked Airbnb, like a simple double booking story with the implication being that maybe something scary is going to happen because maybe this guy isn't who he says he is. Um, and they cast Bill Skarsgård in it, who's, you know, famously Pennywise, who's famously good at playing creepy roles. So, you know, I made assumptions from there, but didn't know very much else. Um, but I was not ready <laughs> for what it actually was. I won't even, I won't say, if you haven't seen it, it's now on um, Disney+. Plus. But it's, it made me literally yell at the screen um like constantly I was so enthralled by it um I was so stressed out by it <laughs> like every decision our leading lady made like stressed me out a lot um it was surprising there was a point halfway through the film where it feels like it starts a new film and it works incredibly well it's like very brave very risky filmmaking and I loved it I loved it um it really showed what horror could do when you don't limit yourself <laughs> to a normal normal storytelling narrative when you're clever with casting clever with character there are definitely scares in it i definitely jumped a lot the main scary thing is quite scary quite disgusting there are bits that i had to like look away from <laughs> but they were also kind of hilarious um that kind of gore that's so insane or that kind of scene that's so disgusting that you can't help but laugh a bit because it's so bonkers. Again, I won't say, but there is a scene that everyone talks about and it is just as shocking and disgusting as everybody says, <laughs> but wonderful. I kind of didn't want it to end and I liked how it ended. Yeah, I, I would highly recommend it to everyone. 
whether you're like a horror movie a snob or you're there for the fun, like I think it's got something for everyone. It is just really good filmmaking at the end of the day. Like I, I don't imagine the budget on this is very big. Um, and there were lots of issues actually with it being made. There are lots of stops and starts. So like several points where it was just like, looked like it was just never, just not going to happen at all. And to have stuck to your guns on a script that wild as like, you know, someone who isn't, you know, a known director to get that cast, to get those performances and to make a story like that, that could be like to wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the audience to do it so successfully is really just a feat of filmmaking. And it's what we all love about filmmaking. So just for that reason alone, <laughs> you should watch it, but also because it's disgusting and also because it's incredibly fun. Now, this is one that I did not watch until literally last night, right before editing this episode. The hype around Speak No Evil has been astronomical and the bar was set really high. Directed by Christian Taftrup, it starts as a slow burn psychological thriller and ends very firmly in the what the fuck territory, but I let the much more eloquent Mary Wilde explain why it's an unmissable horror film. Dear Louisa, Bjorn and Agnes, how are you? We were just talking the other day how nice it was spending time with you this summer. We would love to invite you to come to visit us. Yeah, you made it! <laughs> Sorry for the mess. It's gonna get much worse. Come on! My favorite horror film this year, The Shocking Speak No Evil by Christian Taftrup about a Danish family who becomes fast friends with a Dutch family while on holiday in Tuscany. Months later, reuniting in the Netherlands, joy is replaced with profound misunderstandings and horror. This movie really disturbed me, and I don't scare that easily. The premise is simple enough, introduce the white noise of awkwardness, only a hint of it at first, then dial it up to a full-blown anxiety attack. It was a tense viewing experience for me. I kept wondering aloud, what the fuck is going on? Luckily, I watched it at home. <laughs> Being someone who always returns to psychological matters, I found plenty of fascinating material in Speak No Evil. At the heart of it is the problem of not trusting your gut and failing to express vital issues when it really matters. The predicament of being voiceless is literalized here. There's a scene that took me by surprise, but afterward it made total sense. If you know, you know. I recommend Speak No Evil to anyone interested in childhood trauma, attachment theory, peer pressure, the discontents of civilization, and scammer culture. So many different ways to interpret this clever thought experiment that goes for the jugular and cuts deep. Just make sure you schedule in some aftercare or at least a cartoon to neutralize. 
Don't say I didn't warn you. And finally, my own personal favorite is Michelle Garcia-Tervena's debut film, Wesena, a supernatural body horror about a woman who starts having second thoughts and experiencing visions on the eve of having her first child. I watched this film early on this year and programmed it for both Fantastic Fest and Edinburgh Film Festival because it works so beautifully as a character study of Valeria, who's played wonderfully by Natalia Solian who is this woman who feels like she's about to lose herself, her personhood, her life, losing everything to motherhood, which is something that she chose and she wanted. And it combines that with all the body horror trappings that a pregnancy entails, with haunted house and folk horror elements, and with genuinely one of the most effective soundscapes I've experienced in a horror film all year. I fell in love with Wesena instantly, and I haven't stopped hyping it up since I first saw it. Now it's gearing towards the end of its festival run, it's been everywhere, it's picked up a ton of awards, and it will be out in some theaters and then landing on Shutter in 2023. It was my favorite standard horror film of the year, so do watch out when it arrives on your screens. There are so many other amazing horror that have come out this year. Things that come to mind are Piggy by Carlota Pereda, an incredible Spanish slasher film. There's Sissy, which is available to watch now on streaming by the Australian duo Kane Senes and Hannah Barlow, which is this beautiful, funny, glitter gore film. There's Orphan First Kill, which is a prequel that nobody asked for and ended up being one of the most fun horror rides of the year and a triumphant return for Julia Stiles. Who knew? But I love it. These are just some of our favorites. We could have done the top 20. We could have done the top 50 horror films of the year. A lot of these we have covered on the main feed of the podcast or on the Patreon channel, which now has quite a few of these deep dive reviews into these films. So if you discover them, you have conversations to dive into at your leisure and at your time. And with all that said, thank you so much for listening to the Final Ghost podcast. I hope you've had an excellent 2022 and looking forward to more horror films, horror TV, horror books, and horror podcasts in 2023.